So, Christmas is 41 days away. Anybody in the room got your Christmas shopping done? Anybody? Anybody? Be proud. Be that one person. Okay, she has her Christmas shopping done. You get a prize today. You get my Christmas list and go shopping for me. All right? Because haven't even thought about it, don't know what's going on, but congratulations, she shopped before all of us, uh, she wins, all right? But Christmas is 41 days away. We want to talk about Christmas this morning, but we want to do so in light of what we've been examining in First Peter. We want to connect all this this morning to see not just about Christmas, but about our roles in sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 4, uh, we're going to start examining verse 7. We, we examined verses 1 through 6 this past Wednesday. Uh, and we're going to be verses 7 through 11 this morning as we walk through this. Now, every so often, somebody will come up with a bright idea to predict the end of the world. Uh, we call them false prophets, all right, because they make a prediction and they're wrong. And then they'll change their story a little bit and say, well, I got this off. And one of the biggest ones that I remember was not necessarily saying it's the end of the world, but it's going to be the end of how we live, was a special day that happened in 2000 in January 1st. Anybody remember what we called January 1st, 2000? Y2K. If you're under 16, you have zero clue what we're talking about. All right, but the world was going to come to an end on Y2K because our computers were going to shut down, our health services were going to shut down, everything in life was going to be over. And so, what Christians did is we started packing up food because if the world came to an end, somehow we need food. Not me, but that's what we did. And so, we made all these plans. And on January 1st, 2000, we woke up and, or we entered into 12:01 a.m., and we all breathed and we all sighed and we all went, up. Oh, wasn't it? And we kept on going. Peter begins this, this next section with this little phrase that we're going to include in each of the points this morning. He begins verse 7 and he says this, The end of all things is at hand. Now, up to this point, Peter has delivered to the church many different instructions, wisdom, and guidance for how they are to impact and be a part of culture. Who they are in Christ, what their relationship is to Christ, he reminded them of a glimpse of the authority of who we are in Christ, submission to authority, relationships. We examined that for about three weeks, relationships, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, servants, those who are employed by other people or employ other people. How do we live in this culture and continue to exemplify Christ in those things? And, and we see all this foundation that he's been laying for us. And then we come to verse 7, and it's almost as if there's a set of brakes that are just slammed on. The end of all things is at hand. And now it's 2,000 years later. Did Peter get it wrong? I don't think so. Was Peter trying to give a set date and time to say, well, it's going to happen in, in AD 74? No, he didn't. What I believe he was doing through this and through the rest of his book, 1st and 2nd Peter, he was saying to the church, let's now that we have the foundational tools, the foundational teaching, the theology to guide our lives by, now let's examine the urgency by which we need to live. Because let's face it, if someone were to come up to you today and just say, hey, pretend right now, Tell me, in 30 seconds, today's your last day. The end is near. 
there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of, oh my goodness, well, I would do this, or I would tell this person about Jesus, or I would go to this store and shop without realizing that it doesn't matter if I run up a credit card debt, all right? Or I, I mean, I do all kinds of things. Whatever you would do, the end of the near, of all things at near, it puts us into a sense of urgency. And Peter's doing that. He's saying, church, I've given you all this wisdom. I've given you all these truths to the various believers who are facing persecution and difficulties. And now I need you to know, be urgent in your actions. The end is near. And so he gives them guidance of saying, so how do we practically prepare and live as if the end is near? He says, the end of all things is at hand. Verse 7, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end is near. This is how I've summarized it for me. Keep calm. Preserve your prayer life. I don't know if any of you have one of these on your car today, and it's okay if you do, but some people have these stickers on the back of their car that says, or some of you have t-shirts, all right? It says, keep calm and, all right, keep calm and read keep calm and watch the Gilmore Girls, keep calm and cheer for the Panthers, keep calm, and it's got this little crown up top. I'm not sure what that's about. All right, and and just so you know, whoever came up with those t-shirts and those bumper stickers were not original. Peter was original. He's saying to the church, keep calm. Things are going to get difficult. Things are going to be problematic. The end of all things is at hand. Stay calm. Preserve your prayer life. If we lose our focus and our direction, we, it impacts our ability to pray for wisdom and for direction in our lives. Treat your current surroundings as if today is the last day. But don't panic. Don't lose focus. Don't lose hope. Commit to prayer. Ask God what he would desire for you to do in your life. And he continues to become even more and more practical as we walk through this. He says in verse 8, Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Two things I want us to see that through Peter's teaching and through the New Testament that I don't believe this teaches. I don't believe this is teaching love covers a multitude of sins, therefore go out and do whatever you want, love covers it up. That's not conclusive with the rest of Scripture. The second is, I don't believe Peter is saying here, love covers a multitude of sins, so if I just love another person, that somehow can bring atonement for their sinfulness, and they can have a great relationship with God because of my love for them. That's not what he's teaching here. He's speaking to the church, after all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. The end is near. Love each other and others. Open the door And it opens the doors to shaping our community. The end is near. Loving each other and others opens the door to shaping our community. Now again, I'm putting the end is near at at the beginning of each of these points because I want there to be a sense of urgency for us this morning. I want us to, to take the biblical teaching here of Peter and apply it to each of these points to emphasize the need for us to be active and practical with our lives with great urgency. Love each other and it opens the doors for shaping our community. Now here, I believe Peter is talking to the body of Christ. We saw it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Remember the beginning of that? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. That's speaking about how we care and how we love each other. So here he's saying to the church, you've got to keep loving each other. You've got to keep caring for each other. You've got to keep your eye out for each other. Now every year I get asked to do several weddings. 
Uh, and one of the passages that people often ask for me to use their wedding is 1 Corinthians 13 because it's the love chapter, right? It's the love chapter. Do you know that the love chapter wasn't written for a wedding? Now, if you want to use it in your wedding, that's fine. It, it can apply to every relationship with believers. But Paul writes the love chapter because the church was fighting and struggling with each other. And he says, this is how you need to love each other. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It is not, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Verse 8, he says, love. But he's outlining the powerful results that happen if we love others. It covers a multitude of sins. And by that, when I look at this and apply this to my own life, if I look to love someone before I prove myself right over someone, it begins to change how I look upon their lives. If I begin to love someone, then I look towards opportunities for forgiveness in our relationship and not bitterness. There's a whole litany of ways that we can apply love to our relationships. If I love, what do I do? I focus on someone's strengths, not their weaknesses. I don't look at someone and say, man, they, they, they can't do certain things or, oh, they, they, they're not a, prepared for that. No, we're going to look at their strengths. We're going to love them for who they are. Love carries the burdens of others. Love carries the burden of others, fulfilling the commands of Jesus Christ. Again, in no way is he saying, hey, love, if we love each other, that means we can not worry about the rest of the New Testament that gives us guidance and how we should live our lives. No, it's not casting those out. He's saying how we care for each other can impact our world. And so as we love each other, it begins to ooze out into the community. And people say, those people inside that building really love each other. They really believe in this truth of the gospel that the grace of God has entered into their lives and now changed them. They, they forgive each other down the road. They trust each other. They don't look down upon each other. They, they look to strengthen one another. The end is near. Use your gifts. Steward God's grace. And give glory to God. Use your gifts. Steward God's grace and give glory to God. Verse 9 is a, a beautiful window into the church. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, this is something that we would look at and say, well, I know somebody who's got the gift of hospitality. Man, they just make you feel welcome. But let's break this down a little bit further. In the book of Acts, we read of the early church, and the early church depended on, upon each other for everything, for their medical needs, for their physical needs, for uh, the mental, emotional, everything was, was found in the body of Christ. And this was the attitude that he wanted us to continue to see in 1 Peter. Again, he's talking to multiple groups of people from multiple towns. Now, here's what they were known for in this era. If somebody from Bithynia, a believer in Bithynia, traveled up to the next town, they would walk in and they would come into the town and they would know the name of a, of a fellow believer and they would knock on their door and they'd say, hey, I'm Joe, I'm from Bithynia, and I'd like to hang out with you today. Uh, actually, I don't have a place to stay. 
I, I heard that you're welcoming, so can I, can I spend the night at your house? This afternoon, at 3 o'clock, your doorbell rings. Somebody's standing at the door. There's three people, and they got backpacks on. They're carrying their luggage. And you, you, you might not even open the door at that point, right? But you open the door. You decide to be brave, and you open the door, and they say, hey, we're, 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 we're three people, and, and we're from Georgia. And we're from the First Baptist Church in Georgia, and we're followers of Jesus Christ, and, and we, we looked up your church, and we found your name through the church on Facebook, and, some, and we found you're a believer in Jesus, and, and we don't have anywhere to go tonight. Could we hang out with y'all? Here's your reaction. You're going to find your phone. You're going to say, just hold on just a minute. You're going to dial the church's number as if it's a hotline to me. And you're going to go, hey, pastor, we got a problem. There are three people on my front porch, and they want to stay somewhere. I think you and your family would be a great place for them to stay. <laughs> so if you could come pick them up. But that wasn't the early church. I'm not suggesting that's going to happen today, although we do have 300 people assigned to go house to house that afternoon, dressed up to see if you can let them in, Okay. Just kidding. Just totally, totally kidding. But the attitude is what I'm speaking of here. He's saying the end is near. Be hospitable. I mean, at the end, I mean, things are coming to a conclusion. And with urgency, he's saying, hey, the end is near. Show hospitality to each other without grumbling. Open your doors. Feed other believers. Care for them. And as you do this, it begins to filter out into the community. They see you as different. They see you as no longer a part of the culture that they're in. He's saying, all these things I've been teaching you, now let's apply them and let's watch those pour out of you towards other believers and then into the communities that God has placed you. Be hospitable. Number 10, I mean, verse 10 says, as each has received a gift. Tomorrow I'm going to go to the state convention. It's going to be fun. I've already prepared for this, all right? I'm going to go to the state convention. It happens once a year. And, uh, Inevitably, preachers like to ask two questions. All right, here it is. Uh, how many people do you have on staff? And how many, how many members do you have on your role, pastor? Those are the two questions. I despise both of them, all right? And so here's what I'm going to say tomorrow. I got it ready. Uh, pastor, how many people do you have on staff? H- how many people do you have on role at your church? Uh, we have a 1,000 ministers. Yeah? And they're going to know, no, 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 seriously, pastor. I know what you're saying. No, we got a thousand ministers. Why? Because each of you in this room have been given a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this. Romans chapter 12 outlines this for us. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16 speaks to your spiritual giftedness. And every single one of you across this room have a gift, and it is necessary for this body of believers to continue to grow and function and reach those without Jesus for you to use your gifts. You're a minister. I don't know if you've thought about that, but you're a minister. And I'm going to tell you that you're a minister of something in just a minute that's really going to change our morning for us this morning. But you are a minister of, you've been gifted with spiritual gifts, but also some of you just have natural abilities that blow my mind. I mean, yesterday in this room, there were 200 and something ladies in here with decorated tables. There's not a decorating bone for tables in my life, all right? But some of you are gifted that way with organization, with hospitality. Some of you are spiritually gifted with teaching, 
with admonishing, with sharing Christ. And it takes every single one of us. The end is near. Let's be urgent. Let's realize that this is not a tomorrow is the end, but the end is near. We're not sure when this is going to happen. We're not sure what it's going to look like. But the end is near. Use your gifts, steward God's grace, and give glory to God. Steward God's grace and give glory to God. Verse 10 and 11. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Will you just read this verse out loud with me this morning? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he gives two examples. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we serve and we speak, whatever our gift is, to bring glory to God. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is critical for us this morning. This is critical for us in verse 10. He says to the church, and he says, I believe, to us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Steward. Important we see this. When we think of steward, we think of stewardship, we automatically, most of us in church, think of financial giving. He is blowing that out of the water here. That's one little aspect. Here he is saying, be a steward. In the New Testament, there were two definitions, distinct, um, but very much fit together definitions of a steward. A steward, in one sense, was a dispenser. And what that means is there were people in culture, a domestic helper that would be assigned inside of a home, and, and they would dispense all the supplies that were needed to make a household take place. Help prepare the meals, do whatever's necessary. They were a dispenser of what the owner of the house had. Then there was also a role called a villicus. They were a bailiff, meaning that they were in charge of the master's estates, and they acted as the landlord when the estate owner was not there. And let's, let's walk through that. So you are a steward. He's saying some people are those who've trusted in Christ, all of us, every believer is a steward of the grace of God. You are a steward. You are a dispenser, a manager of the grace that you have experienced in Jesus Christ. A dispenser or a bailiff, both in, in here together, managing the things that God has placed in your life, your giftedness and the grace that God has displayed in your life, looking to those things and saying, how can I use these gifts? While the master's away, even though the end is near, he's gifted me, he's called me, and I have experienced the grace of God. The end is near. You are a steward of God's grace. You are a manager, a dispenser of the grace of God. Last week we looked in total what the, un, the unmerited, the gracious gift of God is. We saw that 
we recognized that our sin separates us from God. We saw that Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. We saw that baptism is a picture of death giving way to life through the grace of Jesus Christ. And we also saw that the resurrection of Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. When we acknowledge those things to be true and seek and surrender to an almighty God, in that moment, the grace of God is poured out upon you. And when that happens, you have become a dispenser of the grace of God, a facilitator, a sharer, a manager of the grace of God. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called to be a dispenser of God's grace. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word dispense. I I automatically think of the little things that don't work half the time at restaurants that you put your quarter in, you turn the knob and it drops out some candy with a lot of germs, all right? Uh, And it drops it out there and you stick your hand in there where all the other kids did and you pop these things in your mouth. That that changed your perspective probably uh, for no reason. But but you have have that moment and you turn the knob and all this stuff pours out. It dispenses what it contains. You contain the grace and the forgiveness and the love, hospitality, the gifts, the giftedness, the command, the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so when you step into this world and you turn that knob a little bit and somebody looks into your life and they turn that knob a little bit, what comes out of you is the grace of God. You, every follower of Jesus, is a dispenser of the grace of God. So this Christmas... We want to elevate your opportunities to be a dispenser of the grace of God. Christmas, I already told you, is 41 days away. That may be a hoop, or that may be you to just in misery to realize that this morning. And so what we want to do as a leadership, as the church, we want to uh, infuse in you this morning and turn over some things for you this morning that we've been looking at and preparing since July, early August of this year. And from the onset, let me say this, we're not turning over a program to you. And everything that we're going to unleash you in this morning, we are not saying, hey, do all this to invite people to our church. We want you to transition with us this morning and for the rest of this Christmas season. We want you to not invite them to church, but to invite people into your life. It's much more dangerous. Because you're not saying, well, I'm going to depend on the pastor to be a dispenser of the grace of God. No, what we're calling you to do in a season of sharing this Christmas is for you to become a dispenser of the grace of Jesus Christ and to think about this Christmas season all the way forward as being a dispenser of the grace of Jesus Christ. So a few things we're going to do for you, I want to outline for you as we we go on. Out in the lobby this morning, when you leave this morning, um, there is going to be several resources for you. And we're going to provide these for you. And because a couple of years ago, I was thinking about Christmas, and I was getting frustrated. Like some of you have said to me before, man, Christmas is so commercialized. They put it out in November. Man, they they put up the trees as soon as the Halloween decorations come down. And some of you guys already got your trees up, and you're already decorating, you're posting on Instagram, and and that's fantastic. And that used to drive me crazy. But this year, this this is a light bulb moment for me this summer, and I hope it is for you. Culture is already opening the door in November 
for the greatest birth announcement in the history of history. They're already opening the door for it. They're already decorating for it. They don't know it. They're celebrating it for a whole lot of other reasons. And so we say, and we get frustrated, and I hear this. We hear, we, we hear people say, oh, man, you know, I'm going to go here. Starbucks, oh, their cups aren't Christian. Starbucks was never a Christian institution charged by God to share the grace of Jesus Christ. Their calling is to make money. And many of you help them. I don't care what they put on their cups. It's not their role to share the grace of Jesus. But they're going to put up decorations, and they're going to say happy holidays, and you're going to go, oh, I wish it was Merry Christmas. And so we're going to infuse Jesus into every relationship that you already have. Well, Walmart, I I can't believe they put up their trees. Walmart's goal is to make money off of you. It's not to share Jesus with you. Don't be frustrated by entities that were not given the command, nor the power, nor the giftedness, nor the calling to share the grace of Jesus. It's our role, but instead we like to fight those things and get angry about those things instead of do what we're called to do. It's easier to push it off and say, oh, will will they ever get back to Jesus being the reason for the season? Only if you invest in people's lives. Only if I invest in people's lives. And so we want to give you some tools to invest in the lives of other people. We're going to give you this notebook. Uh, season of sharing it starts with you. It's going to explain some things to you. Uh, it's going to explain we have some share events. Share events are ways for you to personally share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are also going to be some local events. Local events, we narrowed down a list of about 35 Christmas traditions that happen all over three or four counties. And we chose six or seven of those, and we kind of honed those down, and we've passed those on to you. We are not going to host a trip to Tanglewood for you that's listed in here. All right, if they have an L beside them, they are for you to use, honestly, for you to have relationships with your neighbor and say, hey, have you ever been to Tanglewood? I'd like to take you. I'd I'd like to take your family. And you say, well, pastor, what do I do? If they say yes, well, what do I do? In this discussion, God, we give you some some phrases or some sentences to just start a Christmas conversation, to just start a conversation that may end up talking about Jesus. It may end up talking about how broken their lives are. It may end up them telling you how much they hate Christmas because of struggles in their lives. We're asking you to invest in people, not a program not an event. But we are going to schedule some ministry opportunities for you here as well. They are church-sponsored on this property or even local in some of our community events that we're outlining for you. Um, Most of those won't cost anything, and some of those we're a part of our community with. So that's all in here for you. Uh, Then also we have these little cards for you to take to put up on your fridge, uh, to put up at your workplace, uh, to do those type of things with. Uh, And then we're also going to give you some of these. These are share Christmas invites. Say something with me. These are not tickets. Okay, because here's what's going to get happen. Tomorrow, somebody's going to call the office. So I got to get a ticket to come to Christmas Eve? No. Okay, 
Here's what these are not for. We do not want you on your way out today to grab 50 of these, and tomorrow when you're at your favorite restaurant, you go into the restroom, you go to wash your hands, and you put the stack of them by the sink and call that evangelism. (laughs) If I find them, I will hunt you down. (laughs) It's cowardly, and it rarely works because it's not a relationship. It's just a piece of paper for them to throw away at the end of the day. These are for you to have a conversation with a coworker at lunch, with a student, with a friend, and say, hey, I, we've been talking a lot about my faith. We've just been talking a lot about your life. W- would you come on December 21st with me? We're, our church is going to do Christmas karaoke and ugly sweater contests. Would you come laugh at my friends with me? Maybe. Then you give them one of these cards as a reminder, not a ticket to one of those moments. This Christmas, we want to provide you with the resources. And so here's how we want you not just to pick up the information, but a couple tangible ways spiritually. He said at the beginning, the end of all things is near. Keep calm and pray. So here's how we want you to tangibly begin to pray. S-O-S season of sharing. Uh, looks a little bit to me when I write it down, because I have bad handwriting, looks like 505, all right? And so at 505 every day, we want to ask you to pray for our season of sharing. 505, a.m. or p.m. Some of you don't know that there is a 505 a.m., all right? And that's okay, but there's a 505 p.m. So you got two options every single day. And every day, set your clock, set your alarm at 505, one of those times, both of those times, and say, I'm going to pray. And here's what I'm going to ask you to pray for. Listen for me, listen to me for just a couple more minutes. I'm going to pray for the people on my Christmas list that don't know Jesus. In the bulletin this morning, we gave you an opportunity to list 10 people that you're going to give Christmas presents to. And then to go back and circle the ones who you aren't sure if they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's your person to begin praying with, praying for. Every single day, 505, twice a day. And here's the beauty. We're going to be all praying together for other people that we've never met. That we're praying together, loving each other, coming together as a body of Christ to say, we're going to be praying at 505 every day, twice a day, all the way to Christmas, at Christmas Day. We're going to be praying for the people on my list. Second thing, if you write your list of 10 people and you don't have anybody on there that that is, uh, that's not a believer in Jesus Christ, then your prayer is that God will bring someone into your life that doesn't know Jesus. This is inviting God to invite someone into your life that's far from Christ. Pray for the people on your list that don't know Jesus. If they all know Jesus, pray for somebody to come into your life that doesn't know Jesus. Third, I want you to commit to pray for other believers. Pray for the body of Christ as we share Jesus this Christmas. And as we do that, our prayer is this. We've, we just laid out there and just prayed about it, talked about it. We just, we're praying for 10 adults. There may be children and teenagers as well. We're praying for 10 adults to give their lives to Jesus Christ through a season of sharing. Not a program, but a person, personal relationship they have with you. So we're, we're asking... Now, to me, that sounds like a little low number because there's, if there's a thousand ministers of the grace of stewarding the grace of Jesus Christ, then, then 10 should not be out of reach. 
But we, we're praying for 10 people to give their lives to Christ during this season of sharing. And so we've been lining up, we've been preparing, we've been praying for these opportunities for people to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. You are a minister, a steward of the grace of Jesus. What are you going to dispense this Christmas? Frustration that it's over-commercialized? Or the beauty that the world is rolling out the red carpet and we're going to walk Jesus down it? And we're going to share a season of Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray this morning.